Season 3, Episode 2 of the Birding Off Podcast. My name is Adam and I'm your host on the podcast where we discover birds and the people that pursue them. This week's episode is the season's Birding Off show. With all the excitement around the flock to Marion cruise that is leaving in the week after this episode is released, I have a chat to the Birding Life team along with a special guest, John Kinghorn. John is one of the guards on the cruise. He has previously gone into the Antarctic waters as part of the Atlas of Seabirds project. He shares about what we can expect to see and experience on the cruise. Even if you're not going on the cruise, this episode is very informative and you won't want to miss it. Be sure to visit the Birding Life's online store. We sell books, merchandise, accommodation and all the best optics for birding. We aim to offer the best titles at the best prices along with fantastic service. There is a link to the shop in the notes to the show. So, without further ado, let's get into this week's episode. The Birding Life is proud to be associated with Sorovsky Optic, one of the world's leading producers of binoculars, monoculars, and spotting scopes, as well as the Bird Lesser Bird Logging app. Spot, plot, play a part. Download and install the app to play your part in social conservation. The Birding Life is a lot more than just a podcast. It's a multi-platform resource to connect birders with each other, amazing locations, the best resources, and obviously where to find amazing birds. Check out our website at www.thebirdinglife.com, our YouTube channel, our various social media platforms, as well as the other podcasts we host. If you enjoyed this podcast, consider subscribing and leaving us a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts to help others find the show. So let us get into this week's episode of the Birding Life Podcast. Okay, guys, welcome to Season 3, our Birding Life podcast show. It's so good to have everyone with us, and we've got the team with us. We've got Chris, we've got Calvin, we've got Tyron, and all the way from the, the sticks, the bush, we've got John Kinghorn. It's good to have you with us tonight. No, thanks, uh, Adam and the rest of the team. It's fantastic to be on the show again, and looking forward to chatting about all things birds. So yeah, um, one thing that we're really excited about is the partnership that we've had with Outliers Coffee over the years. It's been great to have you guys as a sponsor for the Birding Life podcast show, where we, which we do, obviously, you know, we used to do once a month, and we love the coffee, number one. And secondly, we just love the fact that every bag that is bought, money is given towards um, a meaningful cause. So can you tell us a little bit about the Outliers brand and why you're so passionate about it? Shame, guys. Thanks so much. And uh, from the outset, just a massive thanks to the Birding Life for punting Outliers Coffee Roasters. Um, which is, of course, a family business. My mom and my dad started it up, basically stemming from a shared passion in conservation. They wanted to see how they could make a difference, and uh, they combined two of their passions, coffee and conservation, into one and partnered with various NGOs and MPOs, which are conservation-orientated, and uh, came up with ideas on how they could give back to them. And ultimately, uh, the brainchild from that was uh, blends of coffee developed in uh, that specific organization's name so obviously uh we're quite familiar with bird life south africa's one dawn chorus and uh, basically every single cup that you end up drinking is uh money going straight back to that organization so uh no fantastic initiative uh run by my folks and uh yeah thanks to everybody all the supporters of the birding life who's supporting outliers coffee that means a great deal 
So yeah, before we went on the show, you told us that you did some birding today. And I think it's an area that I think the whole team, it's a place we all want to go birding, Zachel's Drift in that area. Tell us a little about the, the birding. You were just talking about some of the special birds that you're anticipating in the next couple of months. And if any of the guys want to ask questions after that, just yeah, go ahead. Yeah, no, so it was it was absolutely pumping. Yeah, I think I'm still sweating from uh, the birding today. Uh, it's really, really wet at the moment. Uh, the Khumukhuma or the Platterfir floodplain, rather. Um, but as it's, as we call it, the Khumukhuma floodplain is pumping at the moment. So we've had some really, really nice rains. And uh, I think it's filled it up nicely to line it up for a bumper, bumper, you know, sort of, I want to say rarity season, but sort of rare localized birds um you know for this season as well so i think it's going to be good this morning we had some yeah some absolute crackers i mean alan's gallinule lesson williams all over the place granted snipes and then yeah obviously the conditions are looking fantastic for striped crake and uh, possibly even the uh little small population of streaky bested breasted flufftails that ended up uh finding their way here last year um, when it was pretty much the same if not slightly worse conditions uh so this season is looking good for their return as well so let's see yeah the famed zahel drift in homokom was amazing and uh, i mean i think today alone we had close on about 150 species so yeah i mean that was up until midday absolutely quality birding as always john if i if i could I'll just jump in with a quick question how far is um homokomo from sort of uh central johannesburg for example so maybe and I know we're going to talk about it in a little while, but maybe some of the guests that are coming in for flock, uh, and if they land in Johannesburg or so, how, how, how realistic is it to get there from from Johannesburg Central? Yeah, no, definitely, definitely realistic. Um, from Pretoria side, it's probably going to take you about an hour and a half to get to the Homo Homo floodplain. To get to Zachel Drift from Pretoria is just over an hour, um, say hour and 15 minutes or so. Um, naturally, you would then need to add on 45 minutes to an hour from Johannesburg onto that time, but definitely doable. So anybody coming through in summer, specifically this time of year, any day trips that are coming through, all the professional guides will be listening to this, uh, avatarism guides listening to this, will agree with me 110%. This is the time of year that if anybody wants to do a half day trip or a full day trip, that this, if these are the conditions that are there at the moment, that's the place you want to hit. Zahel Drift and Homo Homo. Um, and especially as we move towards March now, all of these warblers start becoming a lot more vocal. I mean, the thrush nightingales are already singing all over the road. Um, the likes of river warbler, ecterine warbler, common white throats, garden warbler, marsh warbler, it, it absolutely olive tree warbler. It just absolutely pumps. Um, so no, definitely doable for any person coming for 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 a day or half a day even. I think the thing is, what's interesting is, you know, a lot of people, when we talk about birding destinations, Gauteng is not always seen as this prime birding destination, but there's so many amazing spots in and around Gauteng. Yeah, that's that's what makes it so exciting. Um, you know, and if, if ever we had to move from Gauteng one day, I think that's one of the things I would miss the most. Don't get me wrong. I think if we did move, we would uh, shamelessly move to the Western Cape. <laughs> um, but the uh, the bottom line is we're still going to miss the incredible birding and bird species that we get up here in Gauteng. Um, I mean, it's crazy. I, I will always recount the, the fact that we are able to head out and in three full days worth of dedicated birding, manage a species list of 300 plus species seen in a period of three days. I mean, it's it, it, it's crazy. It really is fantastic. We love the birding up here. It's quality stuff. And then, yeah, just in terms of the rest of the team, um, really great to hear some of your birding stories. Kelvin, have you done any any great birding lately? 
Sure, Adam. Um, no, I'm I'm now in the in the throes of a five month old. We did manage to to get away. I think I might have mentioned already, but we got away to um, St Lucia for a long weekend uh, towards the tail end of last year. Uh, New Year's was spent um, in in Nottingham Road, so just a little bit of uh, sort of higher altitude species than I'm used to here on the coast. Yeah, bits and pieces. There's obviously, uh, you know, there's still a Eurasian oyster catcher that's probably about 20 minutes from my house and it involves a walk. I've just, to be quite honest, I've probably just been a bit lazy. I haven't gone out to go to go and get it. I, I have had it before in St. Lucia as well in the estuary there. So I haven't been chasing it. But I, I think if it disappears and I hadn't gone and seen it so close to my house, I'll feel a bit aggrieved. But uh, yeah, otherwise, I'm looking forward to the big trip that, uh, that we're all going to be speaking to speaking about a little bit later as well. Laziness is something that has been lately just gripped me. I like, like I think it was a week ago or so, Tyron, there was a frigate bird showed up in, in like in Toti. It was flying along and everyone's like, no, go to this beach and go check if it comes to this estuary. And I just was like, it was a Sunday afternoon. It was windy outside. It was just like, no, no, the couch felt a lot better. The couch and the fan was a lot better than going and standing on a beach looking for a bird. So yeah, I might have also missed on a really cool bird, but yeah, that's how things go. So Tyron, any good birding you've done? Um, for Christmas, I went to Bonamunzi, which is in Zululand. And I really enjoyed that. I just walked all over there, didn't drive anywhere. And uh, some really good raptor sightings, a uh, couple of African cuckoo hawks, southern banded snake eagle, European honey buzzards, little sparrow hawk. Yeah, so it was really good. Uh, also, obviously, the sand forest specials and arena trogan uh, and the likes. So, yeah, African animals cuckoo was calling quite a lot. So it's very enjoyable. Yeah, so the thing that makes Bonamundi so nice, in my opinion, is the fact that you can actually walk around. A lot of the reserves, you actually you can't walk around, and it's quite nice that you can kind of get there, park there. They've got some really um, reasonably priced accommodation options, which is which is fantastic. And yeah, the fact that you can walk around means you can probably get to see a lot more birds. I know you were talking about the fact when you're walking around, there were quite a few species that you managed to see just by just by walking around. You even managed to do a full pentad card while you were there. Yeah, I was actually surprised. I had a look on Sabab too, and I think for the year there was about 40 full protocol cards, and me just walking around by myself managed to get the most species in a full protocol card for that pentad, 111. So I was quite quite proud of that. Um, it is a little bit scary, though, because it's actually a big four reserve, so you never know when you're going to bump into a leopard or an elephant or a rhino. So I'm sure I saw leopard tracks on some of the dirt roads. Um, so yeah, it's, it's a bit scary. And then Chris, not just sitting at the top, just looking pretty, but Chris also has, uh, you actually have got out to done a few birding trips over this, not birding trips, but a few birding days this year. So yeah, how's your birding been lately? At least you've actually managed to get out of it. Yeah, um, I actually managed to do it for once, like I said, <laughs> like you said. Um, but I think the, the the kind of trip that sticks out to me is my most recent one where we went to go see an African scops owl, which was in the daylight, just outside somebody's by somebody's garden. And like, it was such an amazing thing just to see the small little fluffy, like, it, I, I call it a tamagotchi because it's like so small, it, it was like tiny. But it was so amazing to see this bird out in the, the sunlight. Um, and it was actually, I think it was Tyron that phoned Adam and then Adam just said, we're going. So that for me is my highlight, my highlight trip for this year so far. So yeah, guys, the cool thing is, is um, obviously two years ago, I think it was about two years ago in January 2020, um, before COVID was a thing. 
I think it was only a thing in China at that time, but it was before it was a thing in our beautiful country. Uh, obviously, BirdLife South Africa announced that there would be a cruise down to Marion, the flock to Marion cruise. It was meant to happen in 2020. We did our bookings and obviously COVID came, 2021, 2021 didn't happen. And eventually it's been announced that in 2022, this year, it is finally happening. And it's really exciting. You know, this is being recorded on Sunday night, but for those who are listening, we're listening to this on Thursday night. And it's amazing that the, the Flock to Marion cruise, which we've been waiting for for nearly two years, is only a f- like a few days away. And it's absolutely Absolutely awesome. Calvin, I know you just were talking about earlier a little bit about the hard work that BirdLife South Africa has been doing around this, which has really been amazing. Yeah, no, no, absolutely. Um, I, I think it's plain to see, um, if you go into any of the Facebook groups, how how hard they've worked and are still working to to do everything in their power to, to put this, this tour together. I must be honest, I think like most people, I had my doubts. I thought, oh, geez, there's enough... Um, enough elements against them for, for them to just say, like, cut their losses, you know, it's, it's going to be more of a hassle to run this tour than, than, than or this cruise, rather, uh, the, 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 you know, than anything. So, so let's end it. But, you know, to their credit, and, and, and like, um, like I was saying off air a little bit earlier, is we, we've also got to remember that we're dealing with an NPO or an NGO, as well as a, as well as a business, MSC Cruises and BirdLife South Africa, who have a huge, a huge vested interest in this, this cruise taking place, not only from a fundraising point of view, and, and we, we can talk about the Mass Free Marion project as well, but also MSC Cruises, you know, they, they rely on, on the income of, of the South African season. Yes, they, they maybe send one or two ships here in comparison to what they do in, 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 uh, in Europe, but, you know, they're a business and they're people that need to earn salaries and, you know, they rely on, on those cruises happening. So absolute hats off to them. It ain't going to be perfect. Um, you know, there's a, we, we can talk about the permit and, and the rest of it and the sort of elephant in the room, but I think it's still going to be absolutely an amazing cruise. I mean, I'm guaranteed laughers, so I'm, I'm very chuffed about it as well. There's going to be some incredible mammal sightings. Um, yeah, and I, and I know John will probably expand a lot more on, on, on what's on offer there as well. Yeah, but Tyron, just before we chat to John just now, I think one thing that is interesting is that you only book for this cruise late, late on. And I know initially you probably were staying as far away from this cruise as you could. And for those who don't know, Tyron has got a really good life list. I think his life list is actually equal. Like I think we're actually 100% equal. Are you little, you're probably ahead of me now. You know, you probably um, twitched some bird or something. I don't know. But anyway, but Tyron will not go on a pelagic. He is so scared of going on a pelagic. And yeah, I think on the cruise, if you're looking for Tyron, He'll have a wine glass in the one hand. He'll, be, he'll probably be bending over the boat, like letting his guts over the side. So, you know, why, why the fear of pelagics? And also, what made you decide to actually go on the cruise after everything? Yeah, I think it's going to be a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. So I think you you can't miss it. If I am going to see seabirds, I think a cruise ship is better than a just a little dinghy boat <laughs> that gets thrown around all the time. Um, yeah, so I think hopefully I'll survive and I... Every single bird I see should be a laugher. Got my Epi Newton. Let's hope that helps. <laughs> uh, yeah, so looking forward to it. Yeah, you were chatting earlier about why you don't like pelagic. Tell us that story, why you don't like doing pelagic trips. Yeah, so about after a, a year um, working for my boss, this was about 18 years ago, he had a yacht and he said, yeah, do you want to come with me? We're going to do some yacht racing in the harbour. So I've got two bosses, they're brothers. So I went with him in the harbour 
And it was literally the worst day of my life. I was like so seasick. I was just puking and then there was nothing left to puke and I was just convulsing and I think I was swearing at them and it was just like, you just want to die. That's how sick I was. So since then I've been very, very scared to death tragic. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no. So um, I'm just busy laughing now at, uh, at, at, at Tyron because that Epi Newton, I promise you guys, is, is a lifesaver. I've taken... Sturgeron, I've taken flipping ginger cookies, I've taken ginger ale. All it's done is one of two things. Either it's made me sleep or it's made my throat burn even more whilst throwing up. So it it, it doesn't work for me. But a lot of people have, have uh, you know, they, they say Sturgeron helps, they say ginger cookies help, they say various things help. It differs from person to person. So now I was just having a chuckle now because we're going to, be taking the exact same thing that Epi Newton, I promise you, is is incredible. Um, that's a, a game changer. The cool thing with John is I heard that John has actually been down to the Antarctic waters as part of the Atlas at of Seabirds at Sea project. Now that is pretty cool because firstly you got your sea legs and yeah, tell us tell us from somebody's experience where we're going. What what can we expect? You know, as a as a as someone who's had experience in the area, what can we expect? Because I I knew heard the other day we're even going past Barren a bit, which is going to be pretty insane. No, guys, so it's it's incredible. Um, and to everybody listening, it's going to be probably one of the most incredible experiences, um, you know, that you will ever, you know, have the, the pleasure of, 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 of being on. The Southern Oceans are absolutely wild, but not wild in the sense of, you know, going to some private big farm, big five game farm and walking through the bush and, you know, feeling this fear of leopards or elephants or big game. It's a different type of wild. It is, it, it's, it's barren, but not barren. It's desolate, but not desolate. It's treacherous, but so gentle at the same time. It, it is absolutely incredible. The colors that you can see in the ocean is just mind blowing. It's, it's shades of blue that you cannot even fathom to to describe and uh you know i've seen a lot of people since the news came out that we weren't that birdlife south africa wasn't able to uh you know organize the permits through the government to get us into that marion uh marine protected area um a lot of negative comments but you know what at the end of the day um it's it's still going to be an incredible opportunity how many people get the opportunity to sail out uh on a vessel into the southern oceans how many people get to witness wandering albatrosses following a ship in the middle of the blue yonder uh, not many people and uh, you know this is an opportunity which you would pay hundreds and thousands of rands for should you go out of south america or should you go out of new zealand to get anywhere into the southern ocean so this is a fantastic opportunity and even though we might only glimpse the tip of marion's highest summit from the distance whilst not being in the marine protected areas um, it's my understanding that we'll be traveling at least a hundred uh, kilometers further south of Marion and into colder waters, which gives us a much better opportunity at uh, the likes of Kerguelen Petrol, um, which might have been a little bit trickier north of the islands, the Prince Edward Islands, uh, and uh, perhaps even stuff like um, Antarctic Petrol as well, Atlantic Petrol. Uh, you know, these are all, all, all stuff which favor the much colder conditions. So, uh, no, it's, it's going to be incredible. And um, yeah, the fact that we're not getting to Marion means absolutely nothing in my point of view and i know a lot of people share that sentiment as well but the southern oceans guys i promise you we can have another discussion when we get back and uh it's 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 absolutely incredible so john what kind of weather can we expect i know the guys I, i've we've i've been kind of watching the weather reports in marion and it looks like it's like hot and humid 
no, no, the opposite. So, yeah, what kind of weather can we expect? Is it is it really cold or is it like is it manageable? Yeah, so I haven't I haven't been to Marion myself, but I know that around that specific latitude and obviously the latitudes further south that we're going to be going to. Um, the conditions are rough, guys. I mean, these subantarctic islands are no jokes. Um, you know, I, I recall, and not necessarily this might be the case on this specific trip, but I mean, I recall on our way down to Antarctic waters, there was one day in the uh, mid-50 latitudes where we had almost 14-meter swells, uh, and we were on the SA Gullis too, and it was it was absolutely insane. You know, the flippin' crew on the Gullis were busy getting sick so uh, the conditions can be absolutely treacherous, but calm at the same time. You know, one minute treacherous, one minute calm. It's going to be cold. It's going to be rainy, especially the further south we go. So wearing waterproof items of clothing is going to be ideal. Wear shoes which have grip on it. Uh, don't cruise around in pluckies when there's going to be sea spray on the decks. You're not going to want to slip and slide. I promise you it's not fun. Wear something with uh, with 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 decent uh, soles, nice grippy soles, and uh, yeah, just dress warmly. I think that's the most important thing. There's also to bear in mind. I think I think if you have a look now at the Prince Edward Island conditions, you're probably getting around a maximum uh, every day of about ten degrees Celsius, um, anywhere between nine and nine to eleven degrees Celsius. But that doesn't take into account the wind chill factor, and that wind chill factor, I promise you is hectic you know when we were down in antarctic waters you know we had a, a, a temperature of minus 10 and the wind chill dropped it to negative 36 so it, it is absolutely ruthless um i'm not saying that's how it's going to be with us on this specific uh you know cruise but ultimately it's going to get nippy so yeah you need to make sure that you dress or at least have warm clothing for those days where it's going to be cold rainy and that wind is going to be piercing through your clothes so best to prepare for that. John, can I jump in with a question? Adam, feel free to ask it if, if, if you want to build it into another question. But and, and just while I got you on the calls, so just, it's just a bar the bar. But um, what are your thoughts on, 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 on taking a scope? You, you obviously, you're obviously a guard, and, and I understand you're going to have a scope anyway. What, what is your thoughts on, on just the general sort of packs taking scopes and is it going to be a liability? Do you think it's going to be worthwhile in the conditions? What are your thoughts on that? So, um, yeah, actually, funny enough, I actually had this discussion with somebody on Facebook the other day on the Flock to Marion group, you know, where they were strongly against the use of scopes. And funny enough, on the previous Flock to, uh, flock to Sea um, in 2017, I was using the Swarovski BTX modular piece with a 95 millimeter objectively. And uh, on a tripod, this thing was brilliant. Okay. Um, I could get onto stuff. I could get that extra reach that my binoculars were not giving me. And listen, it's, it's no doubt a hindrance, especially because of limited deck space. Um, it can prove quite challenging and also the movements of the boat. But ultimately, it's not, we're not going to be on a vessel, guys, that's, that's going to literally be rocking back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. The stabilizers on these cruise vessels is, absolutely phenomenal and it, it almost for 90 percent of the time on the previous flock it didn't even feel like we were on a ship it was like we were in a, a hotel it, it really was that good so um the decks are surprisingly uh, stable for the use of a scope and it really is just managing two factors the wind that's going to be battering you especially if there's some gusts uh in the further south you know the further south we go and then, uh, of course, obviously, just bearing in mind, you know, the swells, the up and down, up and down. You know, it's not your traditional way that we use a scope. Um, so, yeah, I mean, even if you have only a single 
you know, eyepiece, your traditional scope, so to say, it should still be perfectly fine. Um, yeah, it's basically wind, space on the deck, and uh, just managing the fact that you're going to be trying to locate birds as the sw- as the swells rise and, and dip, which can prove challenging. So uh, it's definitely, I reckon it's definitely, if you can take it on the plane, if you can fit it, you're not going to be hampered by weight restrictions. Take it with, because if you find yourself on the first two or three days struggling, you feel like you want to give the scope a bash, give it a flip and bash. There will be more than enough space somewhere on that boat for you to set up your, your tripod and your scope. So probably a better comment would be that if you're going to bring a scope, obviously make sure you've got a decent tripod because obviously that's, you know, to steady the scope, it's not going to be worth bringing your scope if you've got a, a cruddy little tripod that's not really going to, you know, be any good with the scope. Yeah, no, 100%. The uh, no, tripods play a big thing. And uh, yeah, I know there's a couple of, of brands that have those very, very, very lightweight uh, carbon fiber ones. Those are all fine and well for travel purposes, but yeah, getting hammered by the wind makes it a little bit challenging. Um, but it's worth it guys if you have a scope the listeners have a scope bring it with thank you for listening to this week's episode we really hope you are enjoying the episode if you would like to support us and help grow the show please can we ask that you do two things firstly please share the show on your favorite social media channel Tell us why you enjoy the show and be sure to tag us in the post. This is one of the best ways to help get the word out about the podcast and bring more exposure to the guests that are featured and the conservation issues that are covered. Secondly, to help us cover the costs and to improve the quality of the show, please can you consider buying us a virtual coffee or two? This is a quick, safe, and easy way to contribute to the show. And then just you in terms of the guys who are going, um, what, what species are you guys looking forward to seeing? I know for Tyron, like almost every bird on the cruise is going to be a laugher, but what's, are there any specific species that you guys are looking forward to seeing? Maybe start with you, Kelvin. Yeah, where to begin? I think it's funny because I, I was thinking about that the other day and I was, I was going through the list that, that BirdLife South Africa has provided in terms of the potential species. And you've always got to just say that little caveat there that they're potential. I mean, these are birds, they're wild animals. They may or may not show themselves. And, and there's always a good saying that whatever wants to be seen will be seen. But um, I think for me, you know, funny enough, to, to top of the list is not even a bird. I'm, I'm so, so keen to see wild orcas. That's That for me, if I can just see orcas, you know, you put me back and you can lock me in my cabin and I can go home, you know. <laughs> uh, I mean, I'm, I'm joking, but, uh, you know, that's... That's what I'm really, really keen to see. King penguins will be amazing as well, and then it has to be also, you know, the the, the wandering albatross. I mean, it's got to be the pinnacle of of the sort of ocean wanderers. And um, yeah, I mean, just to like if 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 it's anything like what John says, and they and they trail the boats, and you know, we're able to even just get some record shots. I'm not after I'm not after winning any sort of awards for photography, but a record shot of a wandering albatross in the Southern Ocean. I mean, surely it can't get much better than that, sir. And then, Tyron, yourself, what are you looking forward to seeing? Well, I'm going to be standing next to John, and I'm sure he's going to find me a couple of Amsterdam albatrosses because he's such a good guard. So I expect to see a couple of them. No, but um, I'm actually quite interested to see the penguins. I'd like to know from John, since we're only going to be 22 Ks from Marion Island, realistically, what are our chances of seeing king penguins, southern rockhoppers, macaroni? I mean, I know on the BirdLife South Africa guide, they say king penguins are green and the others are yellow. But now that we're not actually going into the marine protected area, are our chances a lot less? Or is it actually quite common to see them? 
Yeah, so again, this is another question I answered on Facebook the other day as well um, because somebody expressed the same concerns. One of the main reasons they were excited about this trip was seeing, you know, wild penguins other than African penguins. So the bottom line is, is, is penguins forage far and wide for food, king penguins especially. So yeah, I mean, there is definitely an, an opportunity. Um, obviously, it's less likelier than actually going to the very island on which they breed, um, you know, in massive colonies. But ultimately, at the end of the day, birds travel out and, uh, you know, they float around. I mean, on our way down, on our way back up from the specific trip that I was speaking about earlier, we also came on to just roughly on the same latitude as Marion, um, west of the islands, the Prince Edward Islands and out of the marine protected areas. And we had uh, a couple of little groups of king penguins, so to say, literally just lazing about flip fins up or wings up in the air i guess <laughs> um and just lying on their backs wallowing around um so it's it's definitely still likely um yeah i mean gen twos and rock hoppers there's still all that opportunity of, of of coming across uh you know these birds busy following the wake of the ship riding next to the ship as well we absolutely we had a couple of, of penguins doing that chin straps riding particularly loving riding the uh the the waves caused by the the bow of the ship so yeah no there's definitely still an opportunity and i really i remain positive that we'll 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 still see king penguin yeah i think i echo what kelvin says um as much as the birds can be amazing and probably going also going what um, tyron says i think the species that i'm most looking forward to seeing in terms of of the bird side is is penguins i think penguins are there's something really cool about them and it's almost like you know they've been the the stars of movies and they, they're pretty cool birds and i just i'm looking forward to seeing penguins and um, probably they're a little bit easier to identify than some of the albatrosses so we'll keep it at that also and then i think what calvin was saying i just you know looking at the the, the possible mammal species and that it's it's insane i mean just to like i say you're talking about orcas and some of the dolphin species and that i think just to the opportunity to see some of those mammals up you know up close i think that's like it's almost like an opportunity like we were saying earlier that you we might never ever get to experience again i mean you might be able to see them in an aquarium or something but you know to see them in the open ocean is going to be very very special and i'm yeah i'm, I'm really looking forward to it i think as much as i'm looking forward to the birds i know it doesn't sound very birder like but i think almost as much as i'm looking forward to the birds i'm looking forward to the the other species that are that are possible on the trip john you are going to be one of the guides on the on the cruise and i'm just interested to know and if the guys have any questions also about this you know what does that preparation process look like for it and you know what can we expect i know tyron was you know we were chatting about myself and tyron having a chat you know we looked at these previous flocks and i know it is gonna be a little bit different on this one here because of the space but you know some of these previous flocks you see these huge crowds of people on the deck and i mean it's almost like looks like impossible if you're not like an expert at seabirds it looks like you're not going to find anything because you know you can be so far from the guide so you know what does that preparation process look like for you and what can we expect from the guides and how will you as guides make the process of spotting and identifying birds a little bit easier on this cruise yeah so uh, bird life south africa has put in a lot of hard work in terms of the guides and that for the specific cruise Daniel Dankwitz and uh, and uh, Andrew DeBlock have put in vast amounts of hours in preparation. They went on the specific vessel that we were on uh, and uh, they looked at where the best guarding posts would be. And they've identified that and that document's been sent out to everybody. So, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's very, very well spaced out. And obviously it's, it's, it's different in terms of what has been done in the past in that we now need to consider COVID. 
So, you know, Mark Anderson put it nicely the other day in an email to us guides is, as guides, we're going to be the nuclei of the crowds. <laughs> so, yeah, it's, it's going to be interesting. And uh, there are going to be large amounts of, of birders around us. But ultimately, it's about how that specific guide handles that, 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 that crowd that may or may not be around him or her uh, at his specific guiding post on the day. And uh, you know what? With some of the world's most highly regarded bird guides and seabird experts and mammal experts in the ranks of the 40 individuals that have been selected to assist with the guiding on this uh, specific cruise. These guys know what they're doing. They know how to manage the crowds. They know how to get large groups of people onto specific birds. These are guides, remember, that may not have only been working in the, in, you know, the Southern Oceans. You know, these are guides that have been working in the forests of Southeast Asia, where getting, you know, a group of 10 to 15 people onto a tiny little leaf warbler, um, you know, with a single scope and a packet of peanuts and raisins at his disposal. These guys are trained to do it and they'll make it happen. So, no, I have the utmost of confidence in in all the 40 that have been chosen. And, and you know, from my side, it's just I still find myself, guys, going to sleep and like, the the prospect of even being included amongst the ranks of the likes of our local celebrity seabird expert Peter Ryan uh, and you know flipping Peter Harrison as well it's just it's it's absolutely mind blowing like yeah it's just it's crazy and I, I really am looking forward to it but you know the guides are putting in a lot of hard graft and um, we've been encouraged to just freshen up on everything so there's been hours spent behind apps books surfing the web making sure that we can not only certainly from tony and my side when anybody comes to our guide posters make sure that we don't just throw out ids about birds but that we explain their morphology we explain the context of of the habitat that we find ourselves in why these birds are so specialist the area that we are in the southern oceans we want to add that different dimension as well and i really i remain confident that uh, the other guards are going to bring something very similar if, if the previous flock was anything to go by these guards are next level guys it's some of the best guarding you'll ever be witness to they're incredible can i jump in with another question um I, i've also uh, this will be my first flock uh, flock at sea uh, what, what were what were the number of of packs in the past and guard to sort of pack ra uh, packs ratio and and do we have an idea of what that'll be on this on this cruise as well? I think it's it's it talks to to Adam's last question as well. So my understanding is that you know the amount of packs as it stands are roughly about one thousand seven hundred birders. So yeah, at, at at any one time it's 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 difficult to say. The guarding posts do get quite packed, uh, and that's why it's important to to you know get there early. So listen, the listeners listening to this podcast are going to get a bit of a tip off. <laughs> get to a guarding post early uh don't go and have your eggs and bacon first and then get to the guarding post because it's going to be packed because everybody else who's done the eggs and bacon are now joining the hordes of hardcore birders who've headed out first thing and who will get some birding done and retreat to the uh sausage saloon a little bit later to get something to to eat so try and get to a guarding station early in terms of a ratio Listen, the previous flock, there was a lot of birders around any one guard at a specific time. You're probably looking at about 50 to 80, you know, physical human bodies around a specific guide. And then uh, that's just sort of with the guide in the center so that they could remain in earshot. The remainder of that specific deck would then inevitably jam packed as well. So, yeah, I mean, it's going to be interesting to see how we manage that situation, bearing in mind COVID. 
uh, on this trip. As guides, we've been requested to enforce social distancing and mask wearing and COVID protocols. So it's going to be interesting to see how a group of 40 people <laughs> assist the MSC staff on, on doing that. But I, I trust that the listeners will be adhering to COVID protocols um, out of respect for everybody on the cruise. The last thing we would want to do is have the vessel turned around and sent straight back to Cape Town and uh, docked in the harbor and made as if it's a quarantine cruise because that is what will happen um, as per uh, the MD of uh, MSC um, should an outbreak take place on the vessel. So, yeah, I mean, it's it's a lot, guys. There's, there's a good couple of birders around there. And uh, I think the main thing is to just be as civil as possible with people. In the excitement of the moment, everybody gets pumped up. They want to see birds. This tiny is getting hit in the head with a 500 mil fixed cannon lens. This tiny is not getting a look because she's small and the other one's big. It becomes a bit of a debacle. But we, you know, the best thing is to just remain civil and friendly. And at the end of the day, we're all there to see the same thing. So, you know, if a couple people rotate at the guiding stations, I think that's what they were doing on the last flock as well. You know, so people can get more time closer to the edge of, or, yeah, basically the railing of the ship. Um, whilst others were then shifted to the back. That's also a possibility. And it's all very unplanned in terms of it will take place in the moment, if that makes any kind of sense. And is there any like better time of the day for or to see seabirds? I know like obviously, you know, if you're normal birding, people like to go out early in the morning and midday kind of dies down. Is that the case on these kinds of cruise, cruises or can you kind of expect that you could possibly see birds the whole day? Yeah, no, certainly. You can definitely expect uh, to see birds uh, most of the day. Naturally, the morning is a good, uh, is a great time to be out. Yeah, anywhere up until lunchtime. But you know, the the exciting thing about seabirding is the fact that there remains twenty four seven the possibility of something wild slipping in behind the boat or coming in from the uh, the front of the the, the boat as well, and uh, that can take place once out of the whole cruise. And it, it, it's not time dependent either. Conditions wise, the windier, the better, naturally. If there's no wind, the birds struggle to fly. Uh, remember, the, uh, you know, a large portion of seabirds use the, uh, the oceanic winds so that to, to just get flight. So the, the windier, the better. That's unfortunately how it is. I'm just thinking about wind now and the creation of swells. And one of the craziest things, and reflecting back as well in terms of one of the birds we want to see the most, one of the craziest things, guys, are these diving petrels. And if we get the the opportunity to see these diving petrels, they are the craziest little things ever. Um, literally, you'll see a swell busy riding up and you get onto this little diving petrel and you see like an explosion of water on the one side of the swell. And then all of a sudden, a bird on the other side of the swell. So they literally dive straight through a swell and out the other side. It is the most mind-blowing thing. So I'm just adding my two cents in terms of what I want to see the most. It's been a while since I've seen diving petrels. I'm looking forward to seeing them as well. And yeah, like obviously, we'll, I think we'll start finishing off now. But just just a just a question. I know we're all talking about our packing lists, and I think it's quite scary. Like you know, it's like. We can spend like time in Cape Town first and then try pack for that, then try pack for the cruise. You've got cameras, you've got scopes. I know Calvin's bringing his laptop and all these things coming along. And, you know, in terms of packing, um, you know, you asked the other day, I think you asked the question, what is everyone packing? And almost everyone said they're packing toothpaste, which is a good thing to pack for, for, for a cruise. But is there anything that you think people might pack that is not necessary you know where people maybe overpack thinking well i better pack this in case where it's maybe not something that that's as necessary what are things that are essential to pack and what are some things that possibly people should rather just say well it's not probably going to be needed i can probably leave that at home so um there's a couple of things um 
it's challenging, you know, because you know what I might pack unnecessary, you know, some people might not even consider um, and vice versa. Um, so I would probably say, to be honest, try and stay away from, you know, ultimately you're there to enjoy the birding and the Southern Oceans. If you don't need to take work or study material with you for varsity or work, just leave it at home. If you know that you're going to take it and you really are just doing it as a support to make sure that you have it with you, um, but you realistically down deep down in the heart of your heart know that you're not going to do it, just leave it leave it um unnecessary stuff like that is just going to weigh your luggage down also remember and I, I fear a lot of people might not bear this in mind is that you might pack for the cruise but ultimately the weight for the cruise is going to be determined by your airline luggage so just make sure that when you're booking your tickets down i know it's probably going to be late already by the time that this podcast comes out but just yeah try bear in mind uh, if for on your return trip um, from Durban once we dock back in Durban to just keep in mind flight restrictions in terms of weight as well you need one jacket one main jacket okay that's going to keep you warm you need one main pair of pants that's going to keep you warm and it's going to keep you dry don't bring five different jackets don't bring five different pairs of pants uh, yeah nobody cares we're all going to be wet we're all going to be cold and we're all going to be suffering from getting nailed by the wind so don't pack unnecessary clothes rather use that space for if you would want to pack an extra seabird book so that you can sit down in the evening and consider the sightings that you've written down for the day um rather do that and then just make sure that you choose your field guides properly as well don't bring 10 different field guides there's expert guides on board who're going to spend time with you explaining the situation uh if you have a camera you can always take pictures and reflect on it when you get back Field guides, unfortunately, take up a lot of space. So, uh, yeah, take the most crucial of field guides that you know you're going to be using. And I think just stick to that as well. But, uh, yeah, it's challenging. I think just try try and pack light, guys. Just try and pack light. Is there, is there anything else that, uh, that, that you still need on your list, uh, John, that, that, that's a possibility? So in Southern Africa, um, which we'll be spending a little bit of time in, both on our way into Durban and then obviously on our way out, um on sort of the first morning obviously we're going to be in southern african water so for purposes of my southern african list there's there's one or two unfortunately only there's there's nothing major you know if we turn up the likes of say a little subantarctic shearwater atlantic petrel kegwalian petrel even perhaps it's been blown off course and you know into our sub-region waters sabine's gull is also a bird which is common in summer off the coast of cape town and is one that has evaded me for many years, and I don't understand why. So I'm hoping to knock that off before we even climb onto the ship, to be honest. And then, uh, yeah, obviously when we get down to, you know, the colder waters, again, there's 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 